Good morning. It is Monday, November 7th. Kyle Mountsier is on assignment. I don't know, but that's what we're going to say. Michael Cirillo is filling in today. We're going to talk about hydrogen, Amazon, and restaurants copying dealers' pricing scheme. Scheme? Schematic? I like when you call things a scheme. Sounds so, sounds so intentional. Sounds so scheming. Does sound so scheming. Well, it is a great week to be in retail automotive. Kyle's out, and so I got to pick my co-host, and the one person that was uh, crazy enough to say yes was the one and only Michael Cirillo. Michael, it's good to spend some time with you this morning. Well, you know, as long as you get through the bottom, like that full list, and you hit the bottom of the barrel, you know, you know, Cirillo's going to come. Cirillo's through. always... <laughs> I'm like, all right, what are the top 10 people I want on my show? And then there's Cirillo, who always says And yes. then Cirillo's number 11. Oh, never, never. Actually, you were my first call, if that means anything. Oh, shucks. What's going on, man? Thanks oh, for having me. God, it's always good to have you. Got a lot of things going on. Uh, I'll be on the road. Kyle and I will be on the road. Are you going? Where are you going this week? Are you going to Used Car Week? Are you going to MRC? No. You staying in Texas, mm -hmm. holding it down? I thought you yep. were going somewhere. Yeah, it was one of those things. We we just got back from eight hundred percent. You guys were there. Yeah. And uh, Wit and myself on my team, we were just kind of like, you know what, our our plate runneth over, I and so we were just like, we're going to focus at the end of the year. And what's the point in getting new, new, new? I know this is the auto industry when you know there's lots on the plate already that we could be focused on. So we're just going to hang out. I love that. I love it. Well, Kyle and yeah. I will be uh, running and gunning at uh, Modern Retail Conference, formerly Triple AS. Uh, Brian Pash's event in Palm Beach. So I'll try to bring you some uh, fresh insights from there. We're going to miss you. We're probably going to dial Cirillo in anyway. So that's just how, <laughs> that's just how knows, we roll. Maybe I'll show up. Maybe I'll just roll in like I did when you guys did your family reunion. You can, and, uh, and you're more than Tampa. welcome to do that. Show uh, up. We've got a lot of content that's been dropped. Uh, a couple podcasts in the dirt uh, has been going really well, which is conversations that we've had when we're on the ground and in the dirt. Michael, you were a part of a lot of those at the 800% Club. And we also released a recent episode of the Auto Collabs podcast, uh, which Michael has been a part of forming and is a co-host and probably had one of the most fun episodes I've ever had uh, when Kyle and I interviewed you about your beginnings. And we talked about everything from dial up internet to the statue of David um, to why you're in Texas now. So uh, go check that out too. You can just search auto collabs or in the dirt or just go to a so and all the podcasts are listed there. All right. We have some news to talk about today. Um, there was one story that I almost put in here that I didn't, and it was about four dealers pushing back. Literally that was the word um, in there. So that's not why I wore the pushback shirt today. But I was like, you know, that has uh, an important tone, but it has a little bit of a like, let's not start the week with conflict because there's enough conflict in the world. So instead, <laughs> I started with this one. So here's first story. We expressed our optimism on this show about hydrogen many times. And our friends at Automotive News today released a great and it's like a very lengthy and thorough art article. I enjoyed it a lot reading it this morning on the history and promise of alternative fuel source hydrogen over the weekend as companies and experts weigh in on the broad investment in the technology and the blended approach to the replacement of fossil fuels. So here are a few uh, points from that and then we'll jam on it a little bit. It's finally happening, said Matt Thorington, engineer manager of fuel cells for global supplier Bosch, little company there which said this year it will invest as much as $591 million in hydrogen production technology by the end of the decade. Um, then uh, Kristen Ringland, global mobility analyst at Ernst & Young, another little company, said there are things that don't work well with batteries, and they're excited that hydrogen might fill those gaps. Uh, we also, another comment, we don't see this as an either-or, said Rod Bora, program manager of Hydrogen and Fuel Cell Tech Lab, 
within uh, the Los Alamos National Laboratory. He sees it as an and, not a both, not an either or, but an and. And check this out. In 2021, GM's $35 billion investment in a dual carbon emission reduction strategy includes what we hear a lot about, battery technology. But that investment also includes a lot of resources into hydrogen as well. Um, Hyundai is developing fuel cell versions of its entire commercial lineup by 2028. So Hyundai's leaning in with a next-gen system due next year, and it foresees fuel cell usage in trucks, trains, and maritime vessels. It makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, Toyota's doing a thing with BMW right now, anticipates releasing something as early as 2025. And, you know, we know Toyota. Uh, they've been pretty much the most hesitant to go all in on the Bev craze. And Jill Pratt, Gil Pratt, I'm sorry, chief scientist at Toyota Motor Corp and CEO of Toyota Research Institute said, we're very humble about this whole thing. We don't know. And the honest truth is, we don't think anyone else knows either. So there's a lot of talk, Michael. I mean, we've always talked about hydrogen. I've always looked at it with a sense of wonder and saying like, man, that, that seems a lot closer to the experience that we're used to. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever gotten your thoughts on hydrogen. Um, here's my thoughts. What a novel idea. Like this boy, Gil, he, he's my guy, right? And I think this is, this is actually, his comments fit well within the persona of Toyota. I mean, look at how they develop their engines. They find something, they pour tons of research into it, and then they find that thing that sticks and they don't deviate from it too much. They, that, they just that's do why it they have super that. well, right? They just do it super well. And that, that's their reputation is they, they know that they found a thing, they're going to stick with it. So I love, I love that he brings a little humanity into this because really what's happening in the industry like what, what this makes me think of, my overarching opinion about hydrogen, EV, ice, whatever it is, this whole narrative reminds me that we're nothing more than a bunch of chirping birds. Like we, we don't actually know. <laughs> and if we look at our history as human beings on planet Earth for thousands of years, things never end up the way that we think they despite will. Despite so a lot of chirping, right? <laughs> despite a lot of chirping. And so while I love that investments are being made, I think the narrative could really for now suffice to be, hey, we're making investments to research this, to see if it's viable, to see if it's going to work long term. But also, uh, we might be flying hot air balloons one day again, like, you know, as our main mode of transportation. No, that's, that's so such a valid I, I kind of love his, it's a healthy, it is humble, but it is a healthy, like there's still optimism. They're still making those advancements forward. But he is cautiously optimistic that, hey, like, who knows where this is going to go? And we should all be thinking that way. You know, there's one there's one thing that comes to mind when you say that you just look at what's happened with cryptocurrency in the last 24 months. Right. You've watched that <laughs> wave. And if you were to just listen to now, look, cryptocurrency, I believe, has a future. It has a functional future. However, that's a segment of it when a lot of it was just a lot of chirping. And we've watched the the pop culture uh, momentum gain and it rises it up and everyone talks about it. This is the next thing, big thing. Like we're going to put all our eggs in this basket. And then the chirping is pretty quiet right now. When we found out what the actual market demand for it is, the actual value that it plays in people's lives. So that's just the first thing that comes to mind. You know, one thing that came out of this, um, some experts believe that hydrogen um, might be best suited in diesel applications. We've talked about, you know, like a battery powered tractor and how that just doesn't work because of the the extended run times needed for commercial work right. doing these high, high torque, in these high torque environments. And, you know, one expert says, you know, thinking about it in terms of maybe hydrogen is best suited to replace diesel applications. 
and maybe batteries best su suited to um, replace gasoline applications. So that's another interesting take on, you know, maybe it'll, because trucks, diesel applications generate a, a huge, huge portion of greenhouse gas emissions that we just don't think about in our regular consumer lives because we're not, you know, on the boats and in the trucks and in the tractors and all of those things right. that are moving and like, hey, you watch one of those things operate and just look what comes out of the, the exhaust pipe. And it looks a little different than what comes out of the automotive car exhaust pipe. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, they, they did note in the article, one of the, the primary challenges is the same as batteries, right? Lack of refueling infrastructure. Um, however, with hydrogen, it is a much more familiar, um, a much more familiar experience, right? You go up to the pump, you connect the, the hose to your car, you watch the little dials go for three or four minutes, then you disconnect and you drive away with a full, a full tank. So, um, It'll be interesting to see what happens. I think hydrogen, um, there's a lot of personally, I, I like the way a hydrogen engine sounds. I know that's like more of like a, an experiential it, thing. I've never. Oh, they're awesome. What, yeah. What, what is it this sounds thing? cool. It sounds some, something between like a video game race car and an actual car. It sounds really cool. You should just search so up. George Jetson. We're arriving no, at it George Jetson. No, no, no. Like, <laughs> yeah. Me, no, it George Jetson. No, it sounds... <laughs> It sounds like you're getting something done when you lay down on a hydrogen engine. It sounds like you. It <laughs> okay. sounds, sounds, sounds like you're doing a thing. Well, speaking of doing a thing, but again, you know what? Segway like, time. I mean, the thing, the thing too. Like, once I hit the segue button, is. once I hit the segue button, you can't say anything oh, else. Man, I'm just kidding. You can say it. The thing is too. We're gonna we're gonna as, as we spoke through the whole segue button. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just gonna say. I mean how long before the hydrogen thing kicks off and that narrative, and we're going to start to chirp. I think the whole thing that, that I'm getting out of this as I read through the notes and, and we read the articles is we really don't know. So that's why I'm, yeah. I'm still kind of with my, my, my guy, Gil Pratt here. I, I love the way Toyota Gil. approaches things. Gil, did I say Jill or no, Gil? you said Gil, you said well, Gil. It's, no, it's Gil. Okay, so I Gil. think you got it. I, I love the way that he's approaching things. I love that the automakers are all making investments in this direction. I think it's it's healthy that we do this research. It's only 2022, almost 2023 for crying out loud. Yep. And so, you know, to make those investments, um, I think, you know, though the trend for me going on the backside of this conversation and this narrative moving into 2023 is I'm going to hear what they all have to say and still approach it with, I don't think it's going to end up the way that any of us think. And I would love to plug a hose into my car until, you know, say like, uh, you know, poor little Greta gets on my case about using too much water. I don't know. <laughs> poor so. little Greta. Wow. Or is it, or is it Dreta? I don't know. <laughs> Gil, Jill, you're a gift guy, not a GIF guy, right? I'm a gift guy. Okay. I, th I, I thought I could, I could stereotype use that. I'm a gift guy as well. All right, moving. Yeah, on. I know everybody says, but the founder, the founder says it's GIF, and I'm like, I don't care what the founder. Like, uh, dude, we're allowed to come up with whatever we want. It's 2022. Yeah. It's GIF. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on. Amazon's fleet of Rivian delivery vehicles, EV delivery vehicles, have hit the milestone of five million packages delivered, as there are now over 1,000 vans in the fleet making deliveries on a regular basis. Uh, Amazon's full fleet consists of about 30,000 vans and also 20,000 shipping uh, containers that you see on the back of tractor trailers, etc. Uh, starting in July, the, the EVs rolled out in Baltimore, Chicago, Dallas, Nashville, San Diego, and Seattle. And then since then, they've been putting the service in a lot of new cities. There's like a list of like 20 cities here um, across the country. Now, the program was announced initially in 2019. And if you remember this, the goal was to purchase 100,000 vans from Rivian and have them on the road by 2024. But that's been adjusted 
to we'll have 100,000 on the year on the road by year 2030, citing supply chain, pandemic, blah, blah, blah. Like all the other reasons that you can say we were way off, right? I don't know. Yeah. 2024, yeah. Mom, 2020. Mom didn't make her famous meatloaf last Sunday. Had a little bit uh, of a rumble Put the in shoes there. on the wrong feet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, that's that's just the, that's the low-hanging fruit. But um, I, I think, I haven't seen one of these in, let's see, there wouldn't be in Syracuse. There, All these are kind of major <laughs> metros, right? Where they probably can stay close to the hub and, and they go through. But, um, you know, this is kind of the fruition of a partnership. You know, we're watching what Rivian does, obviously watching what Amazon does. And they have 1,000 vans. So, I mean, I don't know. It's uh, one of those things where, like, they're doing a thing. I don't know that it's, you know, a seismic change, but we'll, we'll kind of see. I mean, it seems to be working so far, I guess. Yeah, I mean, well, like, again, this kind of piggybacks off of the previous uh, segment. <laughs> yeah, we, we have to try in order to figure it out. Like, yep. if we don't try something, then we're, then we're just going to stick in the same place. And so, you know, kudos to them. They're making a partnership work. Uh, a I mean... A thousand vehicles doesn't sound like a lot when contrasted against thirty thousand total, but it's a lot. That's yeah. a substantial investment from both sides of that that equation to see if something works. And so, hey, can't knock the diligence and the commitment to try something. And you would think like a delivery vehicle would be one where you'd probably get the most benefit because think of how often those trucks have to stop and start and sit there. You know, they call it in um, in fleet management they call it dwell time, where the vehicle's just sitting right. there and it's running. And you would think that, you know, just the dwell time savings alone, like it seems like a vehicle like that would be really well suited for a battery because it goes home every night, right? It charges while people are doing all their stuff, running from dogs and knocking on doors and all that, right? We're not burning gas while we're doing all that. So that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And we'll see. We'll see yeah, no, no gas, no other consumables like oil, brake, like, you know, all of the different. Yeah fluids that have to go into it the maintenance that goes along with such transmissions and all those sorts of things i mean there 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 is potential upside here that they're going to be saving a ton in operational costs well speaking of potential of saving a ton in operational costs Stop. it's really relevant, actually it's nice it's almost like we planned that restaurants oh, oh, oh. let's check this out restaurants are considering taking a page out of the dealer playbook, not your show dealer playbook, but generalized dealer playbook yeah. by trying their hand at dynamic pricing due to the mass adoption of online ordering and digital menu systems. So this could include, get this, lowering prices during slow times to get people in the restaurant, maximizing the staff they have at the moment, or raising prices during peak demand times to maximize profit. So um, the low-hanging fruit here, this is from a Retail Wire article, the low-hanging fruit here is to use all that data to figure out when things are busy. How can I make more money from that? Ashwin Kalamani, or Kamlani, co-founder of Juicer, which is um, it's uh, kind of like an online ordering platform, told the magazine Food On Demand. He said, if I own a pizzeria and I'm on a college campus and have a line out the door at 1 a.m. because all the kids have been partying, and are they really gonna care that a pizza is now $11 instead of $10? Probably not, but that's 10% more I can make on every pizza, and that's a big deal. So proponents say this is gonna work because consumers are accustomed to dynamic pricing, right? Market-based pricing elsewhere. Um, you know, they... Others said that maybe framing the pricing change as a discount, right? If you eat it during this time or order during this time, you get a discount versus an elevated, you know, a premium. And uh, some have reservations like uh, Tim Voss, CTO of Focus Brands. So they're the parent of Moe's Southwest Grill, um, Schlossky's right. and other food service brands. They don't want to be in a situation where people are paying different prices at the same time. 
So, um, you know, dealers have been, obviously we know market-based pricing, a lot of fluctuation, and we've been having that conversation for quite some time, right? And even saying like, you know, in the automotive world, you can have a one price model and still be fluctuating prices on a daily basis, right? Because the market changes. Um, you know, that's different than negotiation or non-negotiation pricing. But um, I've never considered it for food. My first take is that I think it would work, actually. Do you? I do. I, I, I approached it with a healthy level of skepticism because I, I was thinking like, okay, I understand the marketing case. Like you said, the, the, the concept of the pizzeria and the college students, are they going to care if they're spending an extra dollar? Yeah, probably not in that isolated context. But if I'm like, hey, babe, you want to order in tonight? And she goes, yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, we have to do it at 4 a.m. <laughs> yeah, know, that doesn't work. Tacos aren't $87. Well, you know, um, so so I guess it kind of depends. It depends know, on what market segment you're in and whether or not this is going to work. But I also wonder about the timing of this, especially when the, the conversation about inflation on food is so high. It's like, man, I already know I'm paying a little bit more when I order out and now I'm paying even a little bit more on top of that. Or maybe so less. I, basically a 78% markup. Or maybe food. less. Or maybe less. Or maybe less. Yeah. I, I do think I do think it has merit, not in every circumstance. Um, you know, I think services like DoorDash, services like um who's the one where you get the groceries from? I don't use it so I can't remember. Uh shipped. Shipped. Is it shipped? That's probably one there's of them. uh I can't remember. I it's got a shopping cart. Shop order my food dot com. Order my food from the from the grocery store dot com. Right. It's really changed even in like Costco, where the online price is different than the in-store price. And you never really know what the price was to begin with when you order from like one of those That's delivery true. because they mark it up by like eight percent or four percent and it covers mm -hmm. the delivery fee and then you don't see the delivery fee, but it's actually baked in there. I think in DoorDash as well, like all this has delivery fees. I think it's made it much more flexible than, you know, back in the day we were like two ninety nine number two at McDonald's, which literally it was two ninety nine. You got two cheeseburgers, a medium fry, and a drink for two dollars and ninety nine cents. And that was like the staple forever. And so I think that there's room for, for like changing in there, but imagine if you just changed right. by like 10%, right? So you have like a five right. or $6 value meal. It was five forty, right? And now it's like five ninety four or whatever that is. Like, I don't think that'll make a big difference, especially if sometimes you can order it for four ninety nine. you know, I don't know. Well, and whoever, like the thing is, it's like anything in business throw out the idea, put it into application. There will be somebody who uses it and therein lies the business case. Like they're not going to get everybody. It's not going to get the Cirillo's at 4 a.m. eating tacos. Yeah. That's the, that's the heartburn zone. Yeah. Right. Uh, but it, you know what I mean? But somebody will. And, and that's all that really actually matters is the people that will, will participate in it and order their food at dynamic pricing. I think there's a, there's an, an opportunity for restaurants that are always booked to charge a premium for peak times, like a blanket premium, mm -hmm. right? And then like, mm -hmm. hey, if you want to eat at, you know, 6 or 7 p.m. on a Friday night at this restaurant, you're going to pay like a $40 premium to be able to book that, right? That I think would drive people like, maybe I'll eat at 4.30. If we want to go to the nice place, we'll go a little right. earlier or a little later. But the blanket statement is you have to start with customer experience and work backwards 
does it benefit the customer in some way? Does it not just make you more profit? Like how can you tie that in? And I think we right. get into tricky situations in automotive as well when we do things just to maximize profit and we don't think about it and how is this going to benefit the customer experience on the other side? Um, and it gets us on our heels. So I don't know. That's a little bit from across the retail world today, the hydrogen world today. Regardless, we have businesses to operate today. We have customers to serve. Think customer experience first, work your way backwards. And I think that formula will never leave us losing. 